Hello, and welcome to the Neff Canyon Ward podcast. My name is Tyler Slade, and I'm excited to bring you all the cool people of our neighborhood and ward. The goal of this podcast is for all of us to get to know each other better, to create unity through sharing our experiences with others in the gospel. Okay, we are here with the Hansons, uh, Miles and Sienna in uh, their house here just behind the church with the little back door cut. We've learned that. (laughs) So for the young men listening to this, this would be a good spot between Sacrament and second hour to sneak over for a snack. Yep. Some of I mean, them that's something know. I would have yeah. done. Yep. <laughs> Door is always open. So <laughs> any young men, they can help themselves. And it's safe because if their young men are listening to this yeah. podcast and they yeah. deserve that little hack on Yeah, Sunday. any young man that's listening to this podcast, yeah. I'm guessing is probably not skipping out on second hour. <laughs> What's the age limit on that? <laughs> so, you know, Gary, it's open to you as well. You're a young man. Yeah, you I know where the cherries are. Yeah, for that category. Oh, cherry, yeah, cherry tree, too. Cherry tree. That's right. So, so I've got uh, my counselors with me, uh, Tom and Gary, and uh, so we're going to we're gonna have some fun for a little bit, getting to know the Hansons better, because you guys have been now in the ward how long? Two years. Two years. Yep. Yeah, yeah so it's the, the so you're kind of like the uh, pandemic family that moved in. That's exactly right. Moving right in the middle of pandemic, and it was so great because we didn't have a chance really to, you know, you ward shop, right? Normal times, you have a full ward come and you can kind of get a feel for things. But because it was was a pandemic, we didn't get the chance to do that. And then when we showed up um, for the first time, it was awesome. It just was such a great group. So many people that that were here when I I lived in the ward a long time ago, but all these kids everywhere. We just felt really, really fortunate that we landed here in this ward. It's a great spot, isn't it? Yep, it is. It's just absolutely golden. So why don't we start with Sienna? Sienna, why don't you tell the ward little bit about where you're from and and kind of your early years and school and stuff like that. Okay. Um, I grew up in Sunnyvale, California. Um, Mm. And my parents uh, got a divorce when I was two and a half. So I grew up with kind of that split family. Um, I was an only child as well. So, uh, and they were older. Um, Mm. I lived mostly with my mom and um, went to see my dad once a week. And, but they had a great relationship. And I felt really lucky to have parents that really did that type of relationship so well. Um, they really were just the, the best of parents just separately. Mm-hmm. Um, and they did such a good job and I love them both very much. Um, but it was, it had, its, it had its ups and downs and its difficulties. And um, when my parents were divorced, my mom decided to join the church. And oh, wow. yeah, so we, we had not, we had not been members at that point. My dad still is not. So you're a convert. In a way, yes. My okay, mom, my mom story. certainly, and then I was raised in it from a very young age, and so I feel like I was just, you know, born born into the church. Um, but she, yeah, because you would have been when she got baptized. How old were you? She was actually baptized when she was nine. It, oh, it's kind of a, a crazy story, okay. but he, she and her sister were were um, baptized by their grandmother, or she had them baptized early on um, to kind of check the box. But no one had, was ever active. Uh, there was some kind of satellite groups in the family that that kind of were, uh, but they did not grow up with the church at all. And uh, her sister reactivated um, when she got married a few years after she got married um, in her late twenties, and so she was familiar with the church. And when she found herself a single mom, she decided, hey, I need a community to, to raise my, my child with. And she went to the church and just said, hey, I'm, I'm coming back after a really long time. So um, I really was raised in the church by an amazing ward family. Wow. Um, 
And my, my dad was always mostly, like, he was pretty supportive. He always, you know, had his questions and he would, it would make me question things often, especially once I got older. Um, I usually had good answers for him, but um, I really felt like I was blessed to have the ward family that I did. I had um, priesthood holders that would come, our, our uh, home teachers, and uh, give me blessings when I needed it. And um, a girls camp was a formative time in my life when I got to be around other youth because I was an only child I just I was a little bit more isolated and and didn't didn't have that family dynamic and then I married into his huge loud crazy family and it actually took me a few years to adjust um (laughs) to that but uh but I had um such great experiences growing up um doing those things like like girls camp and feeling the spirit so strongly in that setting with those young women and with the leadership that was there and i had some some people that were kind of surrogate parents for me um and one of them actually was a leader who would come to girls camp he was one of they called him men in camp and uh, he would go and do all the hikes and activities with us and so i kind of grew up with him in my life and um when i was uh i think a junior in high school um through some matchmaking magic um he got set up with my mom and they ended up getting married when I was 18. Um, so, and they're still married today. Um, so I kind of, I have a, I have a stepdad as well. Um, so you're happy about that. Who's really Yeah, like they're great for dad. each other. They, yeah. they need each other. It's, it's really great. My mom did the, the single mom alone thing for a really long time. She was a trooper. She worked full time. Um, wow. So was a little bit of a different, especially a, a different, you know, upbringing than, than what Miles had. And I feel so grateful that I now have gotten to marry into a family like his, and I feel like I just got instant siblings. But I didn't have to grow up with, I didn't have to fight with them Perfect. for the first 20 years, <laughs> yeah. you know? So I kind of got the best. all that drama and get straight to the adult, the adult yeah. stuff when it's yep. a little bit more fun. I really got the best part of that deal, for sure. <laughs> that is really cool. Like, your mom just truly a saint, right? I mean, yeah. What she... are, and, and your dad kept you on your toes because you didn't want to come back to him with not with not having answers right good answers about yep, the church yeah he, he would always he would, he would come if i gave a talk in church and he yeah. was there at my baptism he was there when i got my patriarchal blessing um and he always had a little skepticism going along with everything and we've had numerous in-depth conversations over the years and we're we're still working on him actually my uh, peter our nine-year-old um i think when he was about five or six just up and challenged my dad to read the book of mormon and uh, he was, at the time, Peter was struggling with, with reading and wanting to read. And so my dad said, okay. My dad was a high school history teacher for 20 years. So he was a teacher came out in him and he said, if, if you commit to read and to practice reading, then for every you know bit that you read, I will read some of the Book of Mormon. No, that's well. So, and, and that went on for a little while and it you know, kind of petered out for, for a bit. We're, we're trying to get back on it. But, um, but he did, he, I think he got through First Nephi. He, awesome. he did pretty good so we're what area does he live now so he lives in cupertino california cupertino. which okay, is right so next to sunnyvale they're just any listeners to this podcast that might be in the same general neighborhood as sienna's dad yeah stop you now by. have a project <laughs> <laughs> missionaries if you're listening yep. it was cool awesome. just last night sienna called joe her dad for father's day and peter ran upstairs and i just heard peter as out here say grandpa if you read the book of mormon i gave you <laughs> and then Joe said, "Crickets." Hey, he said, "No, Crickets. I haven't yet, but but maybe when you come out to visit, we can read together. So we're gonna get that oh, get that going again." But Peter's been a, a good little that. missionary to, to Grandpa Joe. What so else cool. like he's a good grandpa, right? He is a he great is. grandpa. He loves loves the kids. And from you know, obviously, I came into the picture later, but 
I've always appreciated him asking questions it, when I've been around. It's been not so much a kind of questioning, Inside. why are you doing that? But it's more saying, I want to make sure you know why you're doing it. Mm-hmm. And, and, and really kind of probing in a, in a really productive, supportive way. And then very, very accepting of, of, of the answers and the faith. And I think he sees the blessings of the gospel in our family, in yeah. our relationship. Um, and has is, is always been so supportive. That'll be the most powerful. Yeah. Yep. And, and I know that he recognizes that, actually, because uh, a lot of the conversations I have with my dad have to do with his own upbringing, mm-hmm. which was not happy. Um, he grew up, he had one brother, an alcoholic father, and uh, a mother who was emotionally pretty absent. She loved the kids, but she was overtaxed with uh, everything she was doing. She was taking care of an ailing um, parent in the home. And, and my dad just kind of felt like he was on his own, just, you know, didn't have a lot of love and support growing up. And he said his parents got married really young, which was actually one of the things that he was um, not too excited about when we got married. Because I was was 20 when we got married. And he really wanted to make sure I was not making the same mistake he felt, you know, was was made in in his family. But but since um, 15 years now, we've been married and he's seen just the blessings in our lives, all the things that we've gotten to do in in our, our family. And he'll tell me, every time we talk, how happy he is for us, how much he can see that, you know, that we're thriving, that we're, you know, such a, such a blessed and blessed and happy family. And he won't quite say why, you know, we know why. He knows. Yeah. Yeah. He He won't admit it yet. I think he really does know. Um, But I know he recognizes it and he he tells me in his own way. That's awesome. So tell us how you met Miles. Cause so you got married at 20. Tell us how that happened in, in from high school to this guy right here. Okay. Yep. Um, so high school was great um, and went to BYU. I felt okay. like um, BYU was always kind of my goal. I, I didn't even really apply anywhere else. Um, I just had that, um, that drive to go there, and I'm so glad I did. Um, in, I guess it was my end of my sophomore year. For spring term, um, I applied to go to the Jerusalem Center, the BYU Jerusalem Center. And it was kind of a last minute thing. I had a friend just kind of recommend, hey, why don't you apply to that? And I hadn't even really known it was an option. Uh, so I applied and uh, Miles applied yep. really last minute. It was really last minute because the Jerusalem Center had been closed for a lot of years. So it wasn't on my radar at all. It I remember it was a open. Sunday night in January. I was reading my Book of Mormon. It's like cap it off my Sabbath day. And I had the thought, like, oh, I wonder, like the BYU Jerusalem Center just kind of came to mind. Like, I wonder if they're opening that back up. So I got online and checked and they just opened it. We were, this would be the first group going back. And the deadline, the application deadline was just a few days later. And so I thought, that actually would be kind of fun. So I talked to my buddy and it, my roommate and said, hey, we should apply to do this together. And it just worked out that he wanted to do it and it made sense for me to do. And so we ended up, you know, had to jump through the hoops and get an ecclesiastical endorsement and a few other things, but we applied. And both of us got in, and then we met there. And then this is my best friend. We've been best friends since the first grade. Mike Stoll, who yeah. grew up in this neighborhood on 405 Park Drive. Ward. In our ward. If in our ward. So he was my roommate. He met his wife there as well. Oh, okay, I got a connected dot here. I got a connected yeah. dot. Okay. So you're finishing your Sabbath day reading the Book of Mormon. Mm-hmm. And then you have this thought. Yep. And that thought leads to this. <laughs> this. Right here. Exactly. Yeah. 
Yep. I mean, I'm not a smart well, man. Stole but... <laughs> if he was reading the Book of Mormon. Yeah, that's yeah. right. Then no, we know. The way the relation, I would read the Book of Mormon for both of us. <laughs> so I got the inspiration. I dragged him along. And he, got, okay. he, he found so, his wife there. All right. But no, and it was really, it's always, in hindsight, it's one of those experiences where, like, it wasn't a profound experience. I wouldn't even say that I felt, you know, a burning of the bosom or anything like that. It just was a thought. No, I think that's Check a miracle. miracle. Which was, no, it's an absolute yeah. miracle. And then and it was only in hindsight that I realized how that time, studying the Book of Mormon on a Sunday evening, opened up an opportunity for me to get put down a path yeah. that every good thing that has come in my life since mm-hmm. has come from that moment, reading the Book of Mormon, when a thought came into my mind to get online and check out the BYU Jerusalem Center. So the same young men and young women that are listening to this podcast are yeah. going to sneak over... <laughs> Yep. In between to get some cherries off the cherry tree, yep. here's another good nugget for you. Mm-hmm. Read exactly. the Book of Mormon. Read the Book of Mormon. Good it's things. Full of nuggets. Good things <laughs> come. And I don't know what I was reading about. It could have been Isaiah and my mind was wandering all over the place. But that thought came. And I think back through my life over and over again when I've been reading the scriptures. You know, that's why it's called a, a personal year of thumb because the Lord will speak to us as we're reading the scriptures. And oftentimes it doesn't. You really have to do or pertain to the words on the page, but really it's the faith that we exercise by going to our, our, our scriptures on a regular basis to, to read and study and ponder. All right. Well, we're going to come back to this, but pause for a second. We're going to move over to Miles to, to get your early childhood. And I know you grew up here, so why don't you tell the ward how you fit in uh, the early years and all the way up to this point. The early years. I was, uh, uh, we moved into this ward in Barbara Way. Um, when I was five or six years old, I think first grade. Before that, I was born in Logan in Cache Valley. My grandpa had a farm in Petersboro. We lived in in, in Providence. Um, even after we moved to Salt Lake, my dad was working in Salt Lake. We'd still go up there a lot, you know, weeks during the time in the summer. Um, and still, I kind of always considered Cache Valley home. Um, but here in the Cove is where I lived from first grade up until oh, sixth, sixth grade, I think. My grandma had a stroke up on the farm in Cache Valley. So Rather than going to Churchill, right after I finished elementary school, we moved back up to Cache Valley for a year. Mm. And my dad and my parents kind of helped my, my grandparents get set up and helped them out when my grandma recovered. Then we came back down here, but when we moved back down to Salt Lake, we ended up living out by Big Cottonwood Canyon. And so that's where I went through junior high and high school, is living out by Big Cottonwood Canyon. Is there a place outside of the Cove? I don't know what you speak of. So they exactly right. It was... <laughs> Canyon Cove, which some <laughs> no, nothing like Olympus Cove, on. exactly. <laughs> but I always, I mean, even that 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 war, that neighborhood, wonderful people. But this was where, in terms of my childhood, I really felt like Olympus Cove is it was such an important part of my life growing up. And a lot of my friends, all the way through junior high and high school, were were living up here in this area. Um, graduated, finished high school, and then went straight on a mission to Russia, Saint Petersburg, and so I left like july 3rd and so instead of doing a senior trip so i went to the temple and this was in 2002 2002 yep you're off to saint Petersburg. went off to russia and it was daunting when i opened my mission call i saw russia i thought how in the world am i going to learn russian i had a pretty bad speech impediment when i was a kid and so it took me a long time i thought man just like learning how to speak english was a was a huge task and so i was really intimidated about going to russia and learning russian and um, but was was excited for the adventure and went and had a had a good two years, hard two years, but a good two years and uh, serving in Russia, and then came back, uh, went to BYU, and started studying. Did a, a couple years there before 
we rendezvoused at, at the BYU Jerusalem Center. Can you tell us a little bit about how, what? Yeah, now we want to hear how that happened. Like, who made yeah. the first? Yeah. <laughs> there might be two different stories here. No, there are always, always two different <laughs> yeah. stories. Um, we know who to believe. Yeah. <laughs> right, right, clearly. Um, well, the first time we actually met was on the airplane. Um, we actually sat almost next to each other. We had someone in between us. Um, and uh, he loves to say how I told him that I don't sleep well on airplanes. I, I never sleep. And then he looks over an hour later and I'm <laughs> drooling. All flying from, yeah. from Newark to Tel Aviv, 11 hours. So. It's knocked out. But okay, well, at least she's honest. <laughs> so that's a chalk that up. Um, but yeah, so we, we kind of hit it off and had a conversation. And then the way Jerusalem, uh, the Jerusalem Center was set up was you were split into two different groups um, for the field trips, the, the places we would go visit, and then for your religion classes. And we ended up being in that same group. It was all assigned. You didn't really get to choose who you're with. Um, and his two buddies that he had come with, his roommates, were in the other group. Mm. Um, so it turned out he had he had no one to talk to, no one to hang out with. And I went completely by myself. I, I knew an, one person was an acquaintance um, that I'd met right before we, we went. So I went in blind with no friends. And so we hit it off pretty quick. And... Uh, sat next to each other in class, and then on the bus, we kind of joked that we had a six-week-long first date because um, we had, you know, eight hours on a bus at a time, and we would just sit and talk. Because they kind of discourage dating, right? When you're over yes, there. yes, yeah, you're really friend but friendship only. You'd be surprised how many marriages come out of that. Yeah, exactly. a lot of marriages. Well, when you tell somebody they can't date, exactly. what are you saying? <laughs> and then you lock That's them on the a bus and in yeah. a classroom. That's right. <laughs> Yeah. Late night studying. But yeah, it's from like 6 a.m. until 11 o'clock at night, all day, every day. And they talked about how when you travel somebody, you really get to know somebody. Oh, and yeah. so traveled all over the place, had a really good adventure. And yeah, they, they, they said that you're not supposed to date, but nobody said that you have to date to kiss. So our first <laughs> kiss was on the Sea of Galilee. The loophole. On the, on the beach oh, there. Oh, when you weren't dating. Yeah, we weren't dating. No. Okay. We, but, but, you know. Yeah. And oh, just to be clear, sense. it's not like mission rules. The teacher said that if you hold hands, you owed them cookies, and you kissed, you owed them ice cream or something like that. So, oh, so they were we bought them pretty whack. back home. That's right. <laughs> my son went Lots over there married. What's that? My son went over there married. Oh, my really? My oldest son, yeah. Oh, neat. Yeah. Oh, no way. That's yeah. really cool. Yeah. Bill Edwards' daughter married my oldest son. Oh, I didn't and know they, that. they went to Jerusalem after they were married. Oh, that's the That's way to do it. Pretty fun trip. Yeah, yeah pretty fun. fun trip. Yeah. So, but it was neat because we were there. Uh, First kiss on the Sea of Galilee. Yeah. That's right. <laughs> you, you beat that one? <laughs> no All way. Right. <laughs> we were standing out there and the water's lapping on the beach. and It's very it was, romantic. It was very romantic because the, the timing was right. So, and then we, yeah, but it just was neat because at that point, I had done quite a bit of international stuff and it, it kind of knew that life would take us living wanted to live in different countries and kind of have an, an adventure. And Sienna had done some stuff as well, a lot of backpacking yeah, through Europe. Yeah, I studied and, in London and then did a backpacking trip with a bunch of girls. So then we're there in the Middle East and Egypt and Jordan and Israel. And he's talking about hopes and dreams and wanting to have an adventurous life and became pretty clear pretty quick that we were, that I'd be lucky enough if I could convince her to, to want to be a tag team partner and go through this adventure That's together. Awesome. Was so, it um, your Russian mission that kind of sparked that? You know, it's interesting. My mission, when I finished my mission, I was kind of done with it because Russia is kind of a hard yeah, place to be. Um, and so I was studying business at BYU. And then there was a, an internship that I, you had to do an internship at this part of the program. And I signed up to do an internship in Geneva, Switzerland. 
And there was a girl I kind of liked, not Sienna, that was going to do the same internship. I thought this would be perfect. We go to Geneva together and she'll be working somewhere and I'll be working somewhere. And then it lined up to the, the, the Kennedy Center at BYU. And they called a few weeks later and they said, you know, we, we've had a really hard time finding something in Geneva. But one of the organizations we were talking to had a position in Kyrgyzstan. We do that one instead. And I thought about it and I was like, yeah, I, I Kyrgyz, what? Okay. Yeah, I guess I will. And I literally, I remember walking home and pulling out a map and looking like, okay, where am I going? Yeah. Which of the stands is it? And so then I ended up doing that uh, kind of unexpectedly, going to Kyrgyzstan. And then while there, I, I hitchhiked through Central Asia and Tajikistan and up over some, some big mountains along the border of China and whatnot. And that's, that was my first experience in like a truly Islamic country is a couple year, few years after 9-11. And what I experienced was so different than what I expected having kind of grown up watching Fox News and think of post 9-11, what you ex expected from, from Muslims in the Middle East. And so when I came back to BYU, that's really when I thought, you know what, this is a really important part of the world. It's fascinating. And, and I knew I wanted to start kind of focus career-wise on that. And so it's either studying Arabic or Farsi or Persian, what they speak in Iran. By that point, a lot of people have been studying Arabic following 9-11, but not too many Iran experts or people that spoke Farsi. And so I ended up studying Farsi at BYU, doing the Jerusalem Center, and then we came home, got married uh, six months later, yeah. and then shortly thereafter, we went together to live for a year in Tajikistan to do a, a program where we both studied Farsi intensively. And there's a, there's a lot of money for, for students that want to study languages that are important for national security. So we were able to get it all funded. We went over there. Oh, so the, the government paid? Pay, yeah, they pay, they invest in students to get students to learn the languages. Smart. And then there's a service commitment on the back end where then you're required to go and do some sort of national security related job. So, so you, did you work for the State mm -hmm. Department? Or so, tell State us, Department. Yeah, so state, get into that now because that's Yeah, so we were, we were living in Tajikistan. Sienna convinced me to hitchhike out across Afghanistan with her and we traveled all over Iran. Yeah, they, and, um, yeah. Try to get as was much. Was it dangerous at all back then? Yeah, I mean, a little. It was, right? it, a little. We actually hit a pretty good window. Um, I think if we'd, <laughs> if we'd been there too much before, or too much after, I would have felt less secure. But did you know there was a window when you went? No. <laughs> we, the window was we were there. Gary, <laughs> they were on an adventure. That was the window. <laughs> yeah, it was. We were on an adventure. I call it, it was actually Memorial Day, or not? It was my Mother's Day when we were leaving Afghanistan to go back into Tajikistan. It's like all good sons. I wanted to call my mom. So I called my mom and said, hey, mom, guess where we are? And she said, where? I said, well, just wishing him a happy Mother's Day from Afghanistan. And my mom doesn't swear very much. Oh, but boy, I heard it. And I said, don't worry. We're on the bridge. We're crossing back over to Tajikistan. And so that made it a little bit better. Not thrilled. I thought I was going to have my back. first beat button on the podcast. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's exactly right. <laughs> Filtered that one. But anyway, so, so we had all this experience in, in an important part of the world. And so while there, applied to graduate school and uh, ended up going from Tajikistan and studying international affairs in Washington, D.C. for a couple of years. And I did a program where they, they, they paid for school in exchange for more of a service commitment. And so I went straight to the State Department working as a foreign service officer, so that's being a diplomat assigned to different embassies. And so that's what took us from Tajikistan to Washington, D.C. for a couple of years. I did an assignment without Siena at that point. Cyrus was around in Dubai, came back to D.C., and then we went to Armenia for two years, where I was working on some Iran stuff. Dubai was working on Iran, and then we went to Saudi Arabia for a couple of years doing a lot of energy work. Um, 
back to D.C. And so he's kind of hopped around all the different countries in the Middle East and the former Soviet this Union. This is over how many years? That's a Ish. good question. Six, maybe? Six, seven, eight yeah. years or so. How many kids did you have? During? All of them, right? Pretty much, except for Ava. Yeah, the last Ava, one. Um, yeah. And so we're, when we lived overseas, the State Department would pay for me and the kids to come back um to have have, have baby. each baby because the the healthcare in a lot of these places we lived yeah. was not great so i was really grateful for that um but yeah i think um let's see peter was born while we lived in armenia and esther right after we left and then emma was born while we lived in saudi arabia yep. so they given so, any dual citizenship with that no because no. they were all born here yeah so yeah that we we would come back kind of the way it worked out is we would come back for the summers um because their due dates were all mm. August, September. Uh, so we'd kind of take off six oh, weeks before brave. and come back and come live with his parents. And I, I joke that I've lived with his parents more in the last 15 years than he has. Wow. For sure, because they would take us in, uh, me and my little kids. And so Sienna <laughs> eight would, pregnant. would leave pregnant with, on the last one, I guess three kids and fly on like a 25 hour itinerary from Saudi Arabia through Europe, through some of the US to get here with. That, yeah, three kids, ages couple car seats, five and younger, five suitcases by wow. herself. Tom, we don't have enough time. To <laughs> she's, an, she's an iron so woman. much going on here. <laughs> yeah. Never get through it. I mean, so and basically, and you're a spy. No, that's why I worked a lot with spies, but I really was a diplomat. Well, you can't say you're a spy. But... At this point, I could. <laughs> you just gotta. You just gotta tell everybody gotta... that you that you are. No, no, no. They're no. gonna think you are anyway. So, so what? Since the United States, we don't have an embassy in Iran, and so what? The State Department does is we take what an embassy would do and they they split it in the countries around Iran. And so that's why in Dubai is working on like political and economic stuff, but working with Iranians that were in Dubai, in Armenia, working with Iranians that wanted to come to the United States and interviewing them to determine who we wanted to come and go. And then in Saudi Arabia, it was was just working on a lot of oil and energy and gas and Sunnis and Shia and suicide bombers. So and how ISIS, long all that did you stuff. Have, how long ago did you finish with your commitment with State Department? So that was when we left Washington, D.C. You left the White House? Yeah. Was, yeah. So I finished up there and then came back here four years ago. Okay. And so that's when I left State Department, left. My last assignment was working at the National Security Council at the White House, doing more Middle East work. And so then when we left to come back here to Utah, I resigned and then took a job here in Utah. So <laughs> it was a lot of fun. But Cyrus, our oldest, by the time he was six, he'd been to like 40 countries. Peter, the next one down, has been so to 30 adventure. countries and 20. Yeah. Emma was in Nepal in the shadow of Mount Everest when she was like six months old. And we got this great picture of Emma where we're up on this little ridge and I've thrown her up in the air. My hands aren't in the frame. So it's Emma <laughs> as a six month old in Mount Everest right here. Oh, that's cool. And it's cool because they don't remember a lot of that, but it's part of their identity. So sure. Emma will tell her friends, she's like, yeah, I, I was I on climbed. top of Mount Everest. Okay. <laughs> yeah. It's like, well, not. Nah. Not, yeah. not quite. Drawn from close. distance. You can take liberties. But yeah, that's yeah. right. But it's, it's, our hope is that even though they don't remember a lot of that, I read somewhere that a, a child's worldview is really formed by the time they're four or five years old. Yeah, Language and kind of perceptions and biases and everything else that my hope is that they're, them having that international experience during those formative years will shape their perspective a little bit. But man, it's nice being back here in Utah and being like, so, so did you get to a point where you both were like, okay, we got to be done? Uh, is that, I yeah, mean, we, we joke a little bit that when we were living in, in Saudi Arabia, we took a last trip and we went to Bali and we had four kids and it was awful. 
<laughs> it was Hard. it was just too much. We kind of reached that threshold of just four little kids, you know, dragging them around in third Airports world countries and, and just, you know, that because we, we travel very much like the backpacker style. And and we just reached this point where like this is not really fun anymore yeah. yeah it's just a little too hard and it really it was still great but i think we just kind of joked that that was our last real trip like mm -hmm. international trip with all four of them and and then our our saudi assignment ended and we came back and we just haven't been overseas with everyone again so miles what what do you do now so now i work at is an organization here in utah called the world trade center utah and so we're a nonprofit, but we exist to help utah companies grow around the world and so it's cool because i get to do international stuff but i get to live in utah so you get to use all your knowledge yep. that you've gained and help companies expand yep exactly so we help companies identify market opportunities we facilitate help them find you know global capital partners or investors help them with supply chain challenges as well and it's called what world trade center utah hmm. so there are 330 world trade centers around the world most of them are just like this, a real estate play. You buy an office building, you call it a World Trade Center, you can charge 10% premiums on rents. Utah's unique in that we have, we have contracts with the state, so we help the state, rep, we help represent the state internationally. So whenever like the governor or legislative leaders travel internationally, we're the ones that help orchestrate that, recommend where to go, and which companies to take, and line up the meetings and everything else. And then we do these business services where we're really leaning in to help companies grow around the world. Awesome. It's fun. One of the questions that come to my mind, because as we switch uh, maybe a little bit to more of your spiritual journey, um, tell us what it was like going or worshiping in this church in some of these countries. Yeah, that's a really good question. Yeah. You know, I think one, well, you're seeing what you're thinking about actually church experience. Um, one not church of jesus christ experience but in my mind very much a gospel experience was when i was before we met and i was in tajikistan um backpacking and i i flew up in the mountains the pamir mountains it's some of the biggest mountains in the world and then you see incredibly remote part of the world where, where a few people get to from the united states and the only way through these mountains was i hitchhiked on a gas truck it was going up in the mountains to go get gas on the other side of the mountains to bring it back up and it's right up against the border of afghanistan but I was staying this, with this family, and there was this 10 or 11-year-old girl that just spoke impeccable English because there was a school that the kids went to school in English. And it was a Thursday. And so in a lot of Islamic countries, you know, the next day starts on Sunday on the previous day. So Friday is the holy day. Thursday evening is when a lot of, uh, a lot of people would go to mosque. And so she said, hey, do you want to go to, to mosque with me? And I'm this American. I don't look like I blinded at all. And I'm literally 200 yards from Afghanistan. And I thought, I don't know if that's a good idea. I'm like, okay, I'm Christian. Will he let me in? She's like, well, we'll find out. And so I, we walk over there and she goes in first to talk to the local imam, the religious leader. And of course he's like, yeah, absolutely bring him in. And I remember this was so profound for me because as I sat there and they had a, their own kind of mountain dialect since so I didn't understand the language, but she'd translate for me. And I sat there for an hour while this imam taught a group of our brothers and sisters the gospel and these these got these principles they are that are true principles and i remember feeling the spirit really strongly as i recognized that there is a group of of our heavenly father's sons and daughters gathering to worship and to learn uh, with all the life they've been given and just knowing in that moment that heavenly father knows them loves them and 
that the spirit was there, just like I felt anywhere else in any one of our buildings, anywhere else. And we may be blessed with some additional authority and with priesthood and everything else, but they had this access to the all the same blessings of the spirit, the love of their heavenly father, and the opportunity to pray and to, to worship together. And the Imam used cool. it as an opportunity to teach all of them that, you know, we're all children of Abraham. He talked about the Abrahamic covenant and, and, and in terms of welcoming me and, and part of their congregation. And for me, that was just a really profound experience of realizing that there are great people all around the world and that God gives different people different amounts of, of light and knowledge. And all that really matters is what you do with what you've been given. That's really good. So that's for me in terms of, you know, yeah. religion in, in other parts of the world yeah. was a really powerful experience for me. How about me. for you, Sian? Is there anything that comes to mind with, with you know, the church outside in some of these third world countries? Yeah. Yeah. We had an amazing um, experience over the two years that we lived in Armenia. And um, fairly early on, Miles got called to be in the mission presidency there. So he kind of had some more reach and was able to go out and meet more people and, and interact with um, a larger portion of, of the members that were there. And we also um, went to a family board there. It was a branch um, where we lived and, and his Russian saved us because everyone spoke either Russian or Armenian, but very little English. And I spoke neither. Um, so he got to interact um, on a higher level than, than I did. But what I got to do was, was love. That was, that was how I, how I interacted because, um, it, it's kind of like, I feel like how a lot of new missionaries feel when they, they don't have that language yet, but they, they just want to show how they feel. And, and a lot of that testimony and that, that spirit can just be felt with a hug or with a smile yeah. or with just being there and just bringing the spirit, bringing that with you. Um, and that's, that's what I had to rely on when, when I was there and, um, uh, they call, they asked me to be the primary president in this in this little tiny branch, and it was really daunting because I I couldn't speak to the kids. <laughs> I I couldn't really teach a lesson. So for a while, we set it up where I would um, teach through the missionaries. So the missionaries would be there, and and they would kind of translate, and a lot would get lost in translation. And we you know we did some little craft activities, and but the primary there was you know age three to four to eleven. And, and it was all just all together. There was maybe a handful, maybe wow. 10 kids. Um, and, and it was interesting because what they really were trying, the leadership was trying to implement the uh, amazing structure that we have of primary here, there, because it's one of those things that just hadn't translated yet, that hadn't, that organization hadn't gotten there yet. Um, and, and in the end, I don't know if we made much of a dent, but we, but we really tried. And it was amazing to, to meet these families and these, um, these kids really didn't have much at all. And we visited some of their families in their homes. And when we went there, you know, these single room homes, and some of them were in refugee housing, the ones, mm -hmm. and, and they had a single stove in the, in the center of, of this small home and then beds around the side. And we would go in and they would offer us everything they had. Mm -hmm. And, you know, we knew that that's, you know, all they had and it, but they still, they were so generous and, uh, we really enjoyed having them over to our house and and providing them with meals. And I think it was one Christmas, we we gathered up just a bunch of stuff. We had blankets, toys, stuffed animals, and well, you had because you make blankets, and so you had, oh, we had like I guess seven or eight blankets that you. I made some. That's right. That we gave. And them. I think the kids picked out some some toys, some things that they were gonna they were gonna share, and and that's what we did. I think it was Christmas Eve, um, and we we drove around to the homes, and I think we. 
didn't we just surprise him? We left it there. We didn't tell him it was us. I think that's how we did it. Wow. Um, so we just left packages, you know, on, on their on their doors, and um, it was really a neat experience. Um, humbling, very very humbling to to see some of the circumstances that these members lived in, and and just how faithful and generous they were. So I got to connect another dot. You you were the primary president of a branch when you couldn't speak the language. Yes. Okay, so... In Armenia? In Armenia. In Armenia. Yeah. yeah. Now that is next level. That's <laughs> next level cool. It, it, was, it was something else. Something yeah, that's impressive. And in a branch that never really quite had primary before, it was more like, hey, let's throw the kids in that rack room and it, put on a movie yeah. and get some candy, let them hang Whoa. out. Yeah, there, there wasn't a, a, a strong tradition of bringing your kids and teaching your kids alongside you. It was kind of like, almost like leave the kids at home. So the parents could concentrate on on the the lesson. Um, so that's what we were trying to instill is like this is a family gospel. You need to be teaching your kids now and not wait until they're adults so they can join the adult meeting. You need to bring them bring them in in their youth so that they can grow up in it. And so that's part of what we were trying to instill in that culture um, that just hadn't been there yet. Absolutely wow. fantastic. Uh, Isn't it great though that love is the universal language well, and that's yeah. what they said, feel right? that you, you, what'd you say you 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 just loved just i just loved that's what I, they'll remember i gave They're a not... lot of hugs i learned a couple key phrases yeah you know and and i i went with that well what did christ do when he was here yeah breaks right. all the barriers and and love. And, yeah yeah when that's in doubt fabulous. well you've had some amazing experiences that most people will never have and, you Maybe. know that opened your eyes to the world, but also you probably feel quite grateful. We were very to, to blessed to grow up here and yeah. live in a great area. Yep, it's a bubble within a bubble within a bubble. Yeah, yeah, it is. Just, we're just so blessed to to, to be here, and but it was a, a lot of a lot of fun, and yeah. because I think all of our different adventures, and you know, in some countries. This is when we were especially when we were students. We didn't have a lot of money, so we figured out we could run a old beat up Toyota Corolla for less than a hotel. So we'd rent the car and we'd drive all over the country. And at the end of the we'll day, we'd the car. hop the seat back and take a couple <laughs> couple Tylenol PM and sleep and wake up and go the next day. Oh, but when you do that, you like, right, you, we felt like we really had very kind of genuine experiences in the, in, mm -hmm. the, in the different countries and interacted with people in ways that, that most travelers don't. It was kind of open our eyes to the way that they live. And we are so fortunate and blessed here but there are a lot of people out there that have a fraction of what we have here who are just as happy or just more as so happy yes. with mm -hmm. yes. as they as they live and just make the most of, of each day yeah. within so much gratitude that that's one of those yeah. things that i felt all around was just joy and gratitude for what they had so Miles, why don't you tell us about your uh <laughs> conversion to the gospel like uh tell us your spiritual journey and and how that's gone and maybe if there was a a point where you just had this wake-up call um mm -hmm. share a little bit about that yeah that's a really good question tyler um you know the scriptures we we hear about that, that some are um blessed to believe and others are blessed to know and, and one's not superior to the other in my mm -hmm. mind it's, it just depends on, on on our different spiritual gifts and what the lord has has a mind for us but i feel like i've, I've always been blessed to know there's never a, a time where i I question whether or not the church was true. And I feel like always growing up um, in my heart, I, I believed 
or I, I believe I, I, I knew it was true. Um, but there also was growing up, not, not necessarily seeing how to apply that truth in a way that would bless and help me in my life. And going to Russia as I was 18 at, at the time, um, which I guess is normal now, but then I it was just straight out of high school and uh, not as mature as I probably thought I was when I graduated high school and get thrown into Russia and it was a challenging environment. And for me, that was a really watershed experience because it taught me, it humbled me, which then required me to figure out how to apply these gospel principles, which in the back of my mind, I kind of knew were true in a way that would strengthen me and help me and bless me in my day-to-day life. And as I went, finished up my mission and came back to school and then started working, what has been, I am so grateful for the ways that these gospel truths can help me in every aspect of life. And I've always felt like there's, I don't view things as, you know, you do things at church and you do things temporally, but I you know, apply all these gospel principles in my temporal life and, and what I'm doing truth at work and family and truth is truth. And, and that personal relationship with my Heavenly Father means so much to me. And it's something that when, uh, when I hit a, a roadblock in life or things don't work out the way that I'd, I'd hoped it would, you know, that knowledge helps me know that Heavenly Father is in charge and that can strengthen me and help me to, to persevere keep pressing forward with faith and, and trusting that, you know, things will work out in the end. And when things in life are going pretty well and I'm feeling pretty good about it, that also humbles you, right? Because it makes you realize that, you know, this is something where, you know, being blessed and, and, and fortunate. And so that, that knowledge that Heavenly Father has a plan for all of us, that these, these gospel truths are to be applied in our daily life. They can really strengthen us in the hard times and humble us, keep us humble and grateful during the good times. And that allows us just to be yeah, slow and steady going through life and enjoying each moment and not trying to get too worked up about whether we're up or we're down or what's next and just just trying to enjoy the moment, make the most of each opportunity that we have, trusting that as we do that, then we're going to be happy and things are going to things are going to work out in the end. So your mission to Russia and all of the tr- uh, the trials that it brought was actually very formative for you. Absolutely. Yeah. Yep. No, I it definitely taught me how to pray with real intent yeah. and, and how to, you know, really lean on, lean on the savior and, and the grace of Christ to help us overcome, overcome the different adverse adversities and trials that we face in life. Love that. Sienna, how about you? What, uh, what would you share with your conversion to the gospel? And, and, and maybe if there was any time where you had maybe a wake up call or what, I mean, everybody has a different story. What's yours? Yeah. Um, well, it's interesting just to hear Miles talk about those who are, you know, blessed to believe or blessed to know. And um, as I, I've been thinking about this, as I've been listening to the other um, podcasts, and and really, I feel like I've always known in my heart that the gospel was true, that it was just truth, and it made sense to me. That's that's probably the best way I could put it is that when I looked at the the gospel as a whole and I looked at what it taught, what Christ taught and the steps we take and the covenants that we make and that path like it's laid out, it is beautiful and it just makes sense. And even as a young kid, I mean, some of those concepts can seem really difficult or hard to wrap your head around, and you know, hard to really get a perspective of that whole 
picture of, you know, eternity and, and your role in it and how you're going to get back to where we want to be. And um, I'm certainly not saying that I, I always understood all that, but when I looked at it as a whole, it, it was just, it's like all the puzzle pieces just were all there and they all made a beautiful picture. And my mind just, I couldn't see any other way that things should be. Um, and it just, that's the best way I can put it is that it was, it's logical to me. Uh, it, it didn't, it didn't take any stretch of the imagination or, um, or stretch of, um, I don't want to say stretch of faith, but I just knew, I just felt so comfortable and so grounded in that plan and what I understood in the gospel, because I think it just spoke to my heart that it was, that it was true and right. Um, and so I remember asking myself, as a young person, this question, I said, well, what if it's not true? Like, what if it's all just not true? Would I live any differently? And I said, no, because mm -hmm. even if it wasn't true, all of these things still feel so right to me. I feel like my life is so much better because I'm following these principles and this gospel that I, I still wouldn't change. Which doesn't that make it true? That, right? That, that, that's the conclusion yeah. that, that I that I came to is, yeah. is that there just wasn't any other path or any other thing that seemed any better. And and it was just I just knew. <laughs> There's one thing I've always appreciated about Sienna's kind of spiritual progression. Um and that's the fact that you got your patriarchal blessing when you were twelve. Mm -hmm. Right? I did. And essentially, which is a little earlier than, than a lot of people, but one thing that's impressed me about that is you think about your family situation, and then as a 12-year-old, going and getting this, this, this guidance and this direction for your life, and I think about how, I don't know, how, how powerful that was for you as you went through those teenage years and high school years and those really challenging times to know and have that direction um, when, when from your parents you weren't, necessarily getting you know, that type of guidance and direction. That's true. I, I, I did lean on my patriarchal blessing a lot because um, I, I, I felt for very profoundly that it was just, it was for me. And very early on, there were some things in there that really kind of came to be or that I saw very quickly. And it was a testimony to me, just showing me that you know, Heavenly Father knew me and he put this in there for me. Mm -hmm. Um, and so then just those couple concrete things that I could see, uh, that he had given me in there were just these, you know, stepping stones for me to go on. And I knew that everything else that was promised to me in that blessing would come true because I already knew that, that, you know, some things had, and I, I had faith in that. And so that was a great, um, rock for me in during those years. Let me just two things on this. One is, uh, we need to identify the spirit right now because it is very strong right now um i can my, my my heart is is really full with what you have both shared um so thank you and and number two once again the theme of this seems to go back to the youth for the same youth that are sneaking back through the cutaway <laughs> to take the cherries get your patriarchal blessing yeah and and just cherish that yeah cherish that right yep. like it's, like it's Sienna a gift has. it it really is and when we think about you know when miles was reading his scriptures and he had that that personal prompting um to to apply to the jerusalem center i mean i think 
to anyone who has a patriarchal blessing, it's literally personal scripture is, is how I look at it. It's, it's just a piece of the word of God to you and specifically to your life. And I think that's such a precious, precious thing. I agree. There's one of the things about the patriarchal blessing. My uncle, um, who passed away, uh, we were going through his things and I was able to read his patriarchal blessing. And at an early age, he decided not to follow any of the things in his patriarchal blessing and left the church and lived just a completely different life. And as I read through that with that knowledge and everything that was promised in that, it's another thing is, is that it's, it is a tough thing to look at when you don't actually live to, you know, the standards of your patriarchal blessing and all right. the things he missed out on. Yep. So, you know, you look at it both ways. Yep. Those that like Sienna who have just, you know, watched it carefully, read it and, and followed the council and those that have not. Yeah. And how that turns out. Yeah. And one thing for the, the youth is we're on that topic is um, one thing in my patriarchal blessing, it told me that, you know, there was going to be a young man who was being prepared for me and someday um, that we would get married. And when I was young, I really took that seriously. And I, I, I thought that, you know, there really is a specific person out there for me. This isn't just, you know, praying that someone's going to be great, but there is someone being prepared and that um, I could have even the opportunity to pray for that person and think about that person, think about who he was becoming, who he, what he was doing at that time. And um, I shared this in a, we, we taught the youth for a little while in, um, in Maryland when we lived there. And I shared this as a lesson and, um, and they, it was interesting, just they really um, seemed to like it. But I, I feel like that had a big impact on me and hopefully on Miles. The good Lord knew, knew I needed all the help I could get. So but, he had Sienna there praying for me. But I, <laughs> to read the Book of Mormon on that right. Sabbath right. day. Yep, that's right. But, but on the many occasions. growing up, I had Sienna praying for me. Yeah. We didn't cool. even know it. You needed it. You didn't know. Yep. But, but I did. I prayed specifically for him. I, for, you know, that that young man that I, I knew I would marry someday because I knew he was probably going through a lot of the same things I was going through. And I, I knew someday I would, I would love him and, and want. Did know, you know that was him when you met? No. Okay. No. She didn't like me at first. It wasn't love at first sight. <laughs> there was another guy. I, <laughs> you sure it was my I, I had to work. I had to work my way. This is where there's two versions of this story, but (laughs) but no, there was not immediate. It it took a little while, but but then it didn't take long. And then even after we got home, and I I had felt like we should get married, and then but Sienna's like, yeah, I'm not feeling it yet. I'm not feeling it yet. She's still praying for it. Yeah, that's right for the other guy. But then one day she sent me a text like, oh yeah, like like what are you doing today? Is like three or four items down. Was like, oh yeah, I called the Oakland Temple and they had a time at 10 a.m. on December 28th, and so I reserved that for us. And I thought, wait, what? She's like, oh, yeah, I reserved time for us to get married. Oh. <laughs> so, I said, so I guess you got your answer then. That's how I told so, you. This is awesome. That's how that's how that happened. Wow. Yeah. That's amazing. Yeah. This has been great. Yeah, this is great. Well, we're uh, we're up on time, and I want to I wanna leave with the – this has been great. Like, thank you so much. But thank I, I want to leave with the, the last question. We've changed it up a little bit. Um going to ask, uh, you know, in a hundred years, Sienna, from now, long after we're gone, and your posterity, 
is listening to this very podcast, what do you want them to know about Miles? Ooh, this is a curveball. I this like is a curve. the last time I listened I to this. Like this. Yes. Well, that's well, it's easy. That's really easy. Um, I would, I would want them to know. I'll put this into words, but he's amazing. Um, he's one of the most hardworking, faithful, diligent, devoted people I've ever known in my whole life. Um, he's incredibly humble and always willing to be teachable and to, as he mentioned, bring the spirit and the gospel and his understanding, um, of his heavenly father and, and that relationship into every part of his life, into every decision he makes, into every um, action he takes, he brings the, the spirit. He brings um, his confidence in heavenly father and directing him and um, brings that into how he teaches and loves our children and how he treats his, family, his extended family, the people he works with. Um, I don't think that there's a person that I could think of that hasn't been bettered by knowing Miles and by being, being in his life. He gives, <laughs> he, he gives everything that he has. Um, he's just a very faithful, faithful person. And I'm very grateful to have him in my life. Love that. Well, we feel like we've been blessed that you both the ward in our lives well it was amazing it's it's awesome to be in this ward and we first off that was very nice it was thank great. you right? i like that question right? i like keep this going i'm just gonna play this back every time i get in trouble yes. for something yes like wait a second we go this back digitize minute 48 forever. on the podcast it's gonna be minute 52 minute 52 there you go i'm gonna never forget minute 52. now that's she gets be... the same so I it's know, your that's turn right well that set the bar um, pretty high that's, that's, a, that's at the bar really high. You know, what I think everybody needs to know about Sienna, whether it's somebody living now or somebody, or posterity 100 years from now, is that she is fierce in the way that she approaches so much in life. She is tough as nails. She's been in situations where there's, you know, suicide bombings 10 minutes away from where we live or, you know, looking down Taliban guys that are checking us out you know, anti-American protests that we got caught up in in Tehran, and she's right there, ready to go, um, wanting to be right there in the action. Um, and then that she takes that same grit and determination into how she is raising our family and our, our kids. And she's just so amazing with the way that she teaches our children and so diligent and focused on um, ensuring that they develop such strong testimonies of the gospel, that they're doing the right thing. Um, she is just incredibly um, passionate about creating. And whether it's our orchard in the backyard or we've, you know, she started a beehive um, last year and now we've got three hives in the backyard. So whoever wants honey, come stop <laughs> back by in August. We have some great locally produced honey. Um, she has done so much on the house. Uh, just, uh, I'd come home from work and you know, she borrowed a sledgehammer from the stags and I walked in the bathroom down there and we had a big double vanity tile and came up from work and she just ripped it out. And she's right down the middle of it and with the sledgehammer, it had taken everything out and she just knows how to get things done. And she does so with just an amazing 
grace and class and humility and and she takes the same approach with her relationship with her heavenly father and she has so much faith that no matter what challenges she's faced she's overcome them with faith and by relying on our savior and this this great hope in the gospel and that has a leavening effect on everybody around her on me on our kids on every stewardship or calling she's ever had um with friends and in work settings as well so she's she's a force to be reckoned with in all in all the right ways it's awesome well i gotta get one more commitment we need you to stay right here in this ward are we good you can move within the ward within the ward but no yeah okay. we're staying put all right so Minute 56 marked yeah <laughs> a couple months ago i started talking about maybe trying to find a job in dubai and i miss the middle east sometimes and so you know i said well, that's no no, you said, you said, you, you can go get a job in Dubai. Yeah. That's right. Yeah. We're not going. Stand, <laughs> We're staying right here. So end the conversation. End the yes. conversation. Well, thank you so much. This has been fabulous. And wow, wow, wow. Right. Just yeah. so much goodness here. Well, thank you. In this family. Yeah. Thanks for the opportunity. It's a lot of fun. I appreciate all you're doing for the ward and, and do these podcasts. It's been a lot of fun to listen to everybody else's and get to know everybody at a deeper level in the ward. It's tell a everybody, blessing to all of us. Tell everybody it's not that bad. It's not that scary. It's oh, fun. It's great. Yeah, okay. it's a good yeah. conversation. You just need some cherries and some, yeah. you know, this is sparkling water. And... Yes. All right. Thank you. <laughs>